So thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, we're here today to discuss cybersecurity and IoT together with Hub Security's very own VP of Corporate Development, Alon Saban, uh, alongside a number of IoT industry experts, including Dr. Tom Beritich, who I think we're still waiting for to join, um, Idia Bidig, Sunil David, Ricardo Boronello, Ted Delevecchia, excuse me, and Daniel Martin. Thank you guys all for being here today uh, to discuss this topic with us. We're gonna start our webinar with a brief introduction from Alon on cybersecurity and IoT. And then our panelists will each get a chance to briefly introduce themselves. Afterwards, we'll get into a bit of a deeper discussion um, on everything related to IoT challenges and solutions. And as usual, we'll leave about 30 minutes at the end for a short Q&A. So if you have any questions, like I said, throughout the discussion, you can drop them below and we'll get to them at the end. Um, now we have a very impressive lineup of panelists tonight and I'm excited to have them introduce themselves to you. But first we'll begin with a few words from Alone um, before we hand off the mic for introductions. So um, welcome Alone and take it away. Yeah, thank you very much, Journey. Uh, I'm very happy um, uh, to be here and discuss IoT and security, which two subjects that are uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, I would like to express my uh, gratitude and appreciation to the panel members. They will soon introduce themselves, uh, but uh, really the fact that you guys have uh, taken the time uh, for participating in the webinar and contributing from, the, from your knowledge and experience is amazing. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so I think if you um, think about the term IoT, so like eight, 10, five to 10 years ago, it was like a thing of the future together with the 5G low latency, uh, ultra connectivity and a suite of solutions that run in the cloud. It was like a big revolution that really drove the world forward with a lot of hype. And I think as year went by, the, the thing that would happen with IoT is that basically it was evolved and matured. And now it can be recognized in every aspect of our life. And in many cases, we won't know that is there and health, critical infrastructure, manufacturing, transportation, home products, aviation, just about anything that you can pin your finger on, probably have some kind of IoT device or technology. And like any good technology, the impact, the impact of it is amazing. I mean, any field that you look, IoT has dramatically moved it forward. Um, you can see that in, in, in the industrial world, the industrial IoT and the data that is being uh, retrieved from, from the manufacturing lines lines is the base for industry 4.0 critical infrastructure today huge projects around the world holds a big chunk of iot devices that serves the um, the flow the security and all of the other aspects of uh, of these devices physical security today in airports and moving people from end to end in, Actually, just about any any need of physical security is based on tech devices that is embedded with with the IoT technology, health sector, 
is flooded with IoT devices and, uh, and uh, sensors that retrieve a lot of data and, uh, and really streamline the, the processes in the, in the health process. I mean, it's, it's becoming a really fundamental capability. Now, I don't want to put the cloud in the, in the technology skies, but as a security-oriented uh, person, um, I think IoT, like any good technology, is a two-bladed sword. It uh, introduced a new set of threats that actually is being utilized by threat actors around the world. Uh, we are familiar with high-profile incidents like the Stuxnet, Colonial Pipeline. Colonial pi Pipeline was actually a ransomware attack on the servers that control the IoT, but yet it was very effective. And I'm sure that uh, there are many low-profile incidents that happen on a daily basis. Uh, the technology is being uh, abused and in transition new threats, uh, we need to come up uh, with a suite of uh, solutions. We're going to discuss later about what kind of threats and what kind of solutions, but I think this field is amazing and very impactful. So in this panel, we're going to address three main, three main aspects of the IoT. So it's not only the security, we will actually discuss about what IoT is today, what is the state of IoT, uh, discuss current threat and challenges and lay out solution schemes and approaches ahead. Guys, I'm looking forward to you. Thank you again, Sterni. Thank you for the panel. Let's go. Yeah, thank you, Alon. Um, thank you for being here with us today and thank you to all our panelists. Um, I'd just like to take a few minutes before we begin to do a quick introduction round. So let's start. Um, is Dr. Braidich here? Were you able to join us yet? Yeah, I am here. Hi. Hi, it's Tom yeah, Braidich. I hope I'm coming through. Um, I was able to figure out how to join. I knew that PhD would pay off someday, and it did. So here I am, happy to participate. I'm, uh, I've served uh, at at uh, three companies, IBM, National Instruments, and Hewlett Packard Enterprise. I've been a fellow at IBM, at National Instruments, and at HP. So I've been engaged in uh, technical executive work, but also business and sales work as a GM with PL responsibility and also CTO. I've had a, a great opportunity to see a broad point of view. So I'm happy to comment with respect to not only the technology, but the business dimension, the demand side customer side, you know, dimension as well. And so thank you for having me as a guest panelist. Great, thanks, Dr. Bridget. Uh, we're glad that you can make it. Um, Ilya, you wanna go next? Sure. Um, hello, my name is Ilya Bidik. I'm based in Munich. Um, I don't have the PhD, so I failed connecting to Zoom on my computer, so I had to use my iPad. Uh, so uh, obviously my uh, degree level is insufficient. I apologize for it. Um, the very brief history uh, of uh, for myself. I worked for 10 years at Microsoft, um, but I didn't want to be just a corporate animal. So I spent 10 years doing the actual work in the IoT startups in the United States. Uh, then Hitachi 
asked me to join to help them build the IoT platform for manufacturing space for industrial IoT applications. So I joined Hitachi six years ago and I moved to Europe four years ago. So I'm working uh, with a lot of manufacturing companies in the um, so, uh, in the IoT space solution. Uh, look forward for your questions and uh, fruitful discussions. Thank you very much. And uh, uh, thank you uh, to Hub Security for the opportunity to be part of this uh, panel. Uh, Ted Delavecchia, uh, welcome uh, to all of our participants today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm currently uh, CEO of my own company, uh, general manager uh, and operating officer of a blockchain firm and uh, strategic advisor to several organizations, large and small. Uh, my career began at IBM, so Tom and I share uh, some history there, uh, writing operating system code and working my way up through the ranks as chief information officer and uh, part of the turnaround team in the 90s. I've uh, been a, uh, a general manager and operations executive and a CIO of several of the large insurers, health insurers in the United States, CIO SVP of uh, Starbucks Coffee Company in the early days getting us going on our growth curve. Um, and uh, again, uh, right now, very focused on advancing the game uh, in healthcare and, of course, the uh, explosion of the IoT capabilities technologies in, in conjunction with the emerging W3 tech, uh, we think offers uh, some terrific uh, opportunities, which hopefully we'll get into today to help leapfrog uh, the current design. So again, thank you for having me and uh, looking forward to the vigorous conversation with my colleagues. Definitely. Thank you, Ted. Uh, Sunil, David, go ahead. Thank you, Tony. Uh, good morning and good evening, depending upon where you all have joined from. Um, warm welcome to all the panelists. Uh, uh, I'm Sunil David. I'm the regional director from AT&T responsible for the IoT business. So in my role, I'm responsible for the overall sales, business development, and all the marketing initiatives for AT&T for the India and the ASEAN region. Uh, part of my role also requires me to build our partner ecosystem because IoT is an ecosystem play. So, so we try to work with partners uh, who can work with us that include even many IoT startups that we can take some of their solutions, dovetail it with what we offer and take it to our end clients. Um, so uh, happy to be part of this panel and I'm looking forward to sharing my perspectives on the market here and uh, on the IoT market here and also looking forward to hearing from the other panelists as well. Thank you very much. No, thank you, Sunil, for joining us. Um, thanks for being here. Um, next up, we have uh, Ricardo Buranello. So we have a large panel <laughs> today, but uh, Ricardo, go ahead and introduce yourself real quick. Good, good, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Pleasure to be here. This is Ricardo Buranello. I'm the Senior Vice President and Head of Tele IoT Platforms. Working with IoT for basically the last 20 years, even uh, uh, prior to the IoT name. Um, really excited to be here in this panel. Uh, the conjunction of the potential of uh, IoT outputs uh, needs to be combined with really secure solutions uh, to make sure that we can have the right path to the future. In Talit, we have all different types of solutions and there's a space starting on the hardware side where Talit is a main provider for chips, semiconductors, modules for IoT, where our modules are inside the most diverse types of devices from connected cars 
to industrial solutions on the chip on the semiconductors level and going up in the stack also in 2013 Telit acquired a spin-off of IBM automation group a company called ILS technology and then we bring IOT platforms uh, into the game providing not only the components but also the application level and the security level for customers so I think this brings a lot of experience in terms of real projects deployed and how to solve some of these challenges. Really excited to be here with you. Wonderful. Thank you, Ricardo. And last but not least, we have Daniel Martin. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, I'm very glad to be here. It's uh, fantastic to be in this panel. I, I'm very interested to hear the other the other's view to learn a little bit more. Um, me, I'm Daniel Martin. I'm heading product and technology for IoT at uh, Tele2. Now, for you who don't know, live in Northern Europe, uh, Tele2 is an MNO in Northern Europe with local presence in Sweden, Estonia, Lithuania, and Latvia. And within IoT cellular connectivity, uh, Tele2 has grown to be one of the top 10 MNOs in Europe. And for the last 10 years, I've been part of the team building that. Uh, I had the role as uh, chief architect, CTO, and now the head of product and technology. So, so I've been deeply involved in designing most of our services. Now we, we are strongly focusing on providing cellular connectivity for IoT. And I think it's great because we really live to assist our customers in making great connected services. And, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic business, I think. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, it's really great that you could be here to, to bring this perspective. Um, so let's just dive into our discussion. I don't want to waste any more time. Um, uh, we're going to divide today's event into, or today's discussion, I should say, into three topics, um, starting with an overview and a kind of an introduction to the IoT market. Um, and then we're going to talk a bit about challenges, threats, and risks, followed by approaches and solutions. So just to start us off, um, and I'm just, I'm gonna jump right in. Um, IoT, it can mean many different things to different people. Maybe um, someone can help and bring some context behind what IoT actually is um, today. Yeah, I would be very happy to kick us off this one. Uh, indeed, it's a term that needs to be uh, specified in terms of how people want to use it. Right? Uh, Everything is started in terms of allowing independent things, machines, sensors, to have connectivity uh, remotely and automated in a certain way. When you look at IoT, I think that it is present in the most diverse types of uh, environments and applications with different types of uh, telecommunications uh, protocols, technologies, and different types of use cases. Here in Talit, we have we, we typically divide IoT in two big groups, one generic IoT, and in this one we see consumer products, smart metering, uh, smart cities involved there, and industrial IoT, uh, where there is a high demand in industrial in terms of having this machine and sensor connectivity, not only when things are remotely distributed, but sometimes they are highly dense, concentrated on the shop floor, but do you also need to have this level of data collection from these different devices? I would say that IoT is the first step on any type of project that involves digital transformation that requires you the ability of collecting data from all these different types of devices. 
the way that we think in terms of IoT is not only in terms of a new technology for new things, but also something that need and must embrace from yeah. you. The existing devices that are out there and they need to be connected. So if you think, for example, in an industrial IoT deployment that is a specialty, uh, everybody talks about, okay, there's a new robot here that might be IoT ready, or there's a new type of machine that can send this data to the cloud. But what happens to these, let's say, CNC machine that was deployed 30 years ago, and at that time, they didn't even have an Ethernet port. Uh, if we want really to embrace the digital transformation, we should. I think we lost our colleague. Go ahead and jump Yeah, yeah I uh, think we lost him. Go ahead and jump in. Yeah, we lost him because of reason number five of seven to compute at the edge and not always send your data to a cloud because you can't rely on connectivity. This was a great you know, example. And computing at the edge allows the data from the things, the T in the IoT, uh, to be analyzed or collected, right, that particular data, and then more importantly, acted on at the edge. And uh, one dimension, of course, is uh, more of a soloed edge computing uh, dimension to the IoT. But of course, there's a, mul a multiplicity of reasons to have edge connectivity that's obvious as well. But when reliability is not reliable, like right now, and also when bandwidth might be a little bit too expensive or privacy is of great concern. Those are several reasons of, uh, of seven that I've uh, uncovered in, in my work with customers to um, have a, a local network or a local uh, data center sometimes, if you will, if it's going to be very, very, you know, um, very robust and not have remote connectivity all the time. So that said, uh, I'll just add that if there are no things, then it's not IoT, right? The T and the IoT. And if they're not connected, it's not IoT. And the things reside at the edge, if I can help with some definitions. And uh, my definition of the edge is it's not the data center. So when you walk out of a data center or you walk out of a cloud, which is a data center that nobody's supposed to know where it is, that's what a cloud is, um, you're at the edge. And it could be on a street, right at the street there, that's an edge. And we have things called automobiles, street lights, and uh, you know traffic control and types of facilities or you could walk into a battlefield or you could walk into a uh, manufacturing floor a oil rig a uh, windmill farm your home those are all edges that are not data centers but could connect to you know a data center and cloud now i know that distinction is blurring a little bit today but it's nice to bifurcate it and understand that when you walk out of a data center and you want to impose information technology it it's it's much bigger. Um, it's a much bigger challenge than in the confines of a well thought out, decades battle hardened data center. We know how to do data centers well, but doing AI and doing machine learning, video analytics in remote places that have security issues that Hub Security is addressing, uh, is only one of many challenges at the edge. Well, thanks. I hope our colleague has returned. No, I think that you know my point is yes. Uh, uh, there's, there are a lot of different uh, concepts for IoT, but embracing new and uh, and legacy things is something very important for us to keep growing in terms of the digital transformation that is brought by this technology. Definitely. Thank you, Ricardo. Sunil, you wanted to jump in? Yeah, I just wanted to add to what uh, Dr. Tom and Ricardo mentioned. So while you're extracting data from the physical world, the advantage with IoT today is that you can add, actually add context to the data 
the environmental conditions under which the asset is operating at, the location where it is at, and the ability to correlate all these data sources which will help in decision making. I think, I think that's one big advantage. And the fact that so much of data that can be unlocked from all these assets, you know, the hidden value of the data, and how do organizations uh, leverage the data because data is a strategic asset for any organization today. So I think that definitely um, is an important consideration. And, uh, and, and I think uh, we are only going to see IoT adoption growth going forward. Uh, yeah, just to build off of that comment, <laughs> if I may quickly, uh, I think uh, the uh, context is incredibly important. I'm probably going to re reference that in some of my remarks later. But however, I would like to kind of embellish that a little bit with regards to the ability that IoT gives us for autonomous functionality or autonomous action, if you will, that's intelligent and augmented in the moment by the data that are created at the edge, as Tom uh, had put it, Dr. Tom had mentioned earlier that edge you know, moves with where the data are created. Uh, and then uh, if you think about another layer of uh, advanced you know, compute, we start talking about the autonomy, the ability for functional decisions or functional actions, if you will, to occur based on you know, predetermined uh, modularities, et cetera. Uh, so I think that, that that has a lot of play in uh, every industry that, that today is looking into it, uh, optimizing it. And certainly manufacturing comes to mind where you've got machines in remote situations where there's movement and activities and so on and potential failure points uh, that need to be you know, constantly monitored, but then corrected without human intervention. So I think IoT offers us a wide variety of those sort of uh, thoughts and, and, and functions. So I actually think that I agree with everyone and, and it comes to mind hearing you talk and uh, reflecting on your thoughts that IoT is actually becoming the mediator in many aspects because there is more and more compute power at the edge. There is more and more sophisticated technologies, AI, decision-making, autonomous, but eventually the connection with the real world the machine, the car, the thing, the street, the the uh, you know the, the light, whatever is that's the mediation that the IoT brings into the table, taking the real world and making it digital, streaming a lot of data into the edge to take decisions, and that's amazing. That can be uh, that can be met in in every aspect of our life. That's. That's the on, on that note, you can tell us, uh, maybe you can describe for us some of the most dominant sectors and industries um, that are utilizing IoT. Um, so uh, IoT was a big promise. Uh, the consumer sector, the, our home was the target market. And I think in, it evolved to a way. It is, built, it, it is still being standardized by the by the giants with the matter standard that they're uh, implying today. But in sectors that all of us are using, but are not familiar with the technology behind it. So I'm talking about the, the industrial IoT, the manufacturing, the health sectors, the, uh, uh, the, critical, the critical infrastructures, the, uh, the autonomous capabilities that are being developed. Uh, and being uh, utilized today, one can think mostly on cars, but I guess there are many more around that area. So I think IoT is a key player there. 
Um, and and, and uh, let's say that the basic aspect of it is that it's becoming a commodity in the sense that IoT is not the driven technology today, but it is becoming the enabler or the driver of the of the you know the next step technology in the, in the industrial IoT. It's industrial industry 4.0. In autonomous cars, it's the the lidar and all of the sensors around the car that makes it autonomous. In every aspect, in health, it is sucking uh, data as part of the of the procedure that uh, you are uh, going through and uh, enabling the, the the quick assessment so in many aspects it became the enabler i see health i see critical infrastructures i see industrial and i see um, evolving the autonomous things autonomous autonomous cars first but not only that, the way it will connect with the with the with the street and the objects around it, this is becoming a, a huge thing today. And if I can add a comment here, Alon, I really like your comment in terms of this being a, basically a foundational block for you to evolve in terms of the digital transformation. I was uh, not long time ago in a conversation with a really high level executive in the automotive space. And he was asking our opinion in terms of AI, how AI can transform the industry. And we personally believe that yes, AI has a huge play there, but the foundation for AI comes from IoT in terms of enabling data collection and allowing you to have this data transformation. Uh, I would say that the most important thing, if you are willing to get financial returns from investing on the technology, is to have the right strategy and management mindset. It is transforming companies into a data-driven companies that you can visualize your process, uh, calculate your productivity, and then use the technology really to enable this. So all the other blocks that will come from advanced automation, AI, a digital twin, etc. They pass from IoT in terms of collecting this data, translating this data, and delivering this in a format that you can rapidly and uh, on a viable way deploy this technology. Great, thank you, Ricardo. Um, I just want to—we uh, have a lot of ground to cover, and uh, we have about 60 minutes left. So um, I'm going to ask the panelists just to keep their responses. Uh, concise, uh, so we can cover cover all the ground we have ahead of us. So Neil, maybe you can jump into this discussion and briefly share with us um, a bit about AT&T's initiatives in the IoT arena. I'd be interested to hear more about that. Uh, sure. So uh, AT&T has been offering IoT services for more than a decade now, and it's one of our fastest growing business units. And when it comes to IoT, we have a three-pronged strategy. Uh, the first one is uh, focusing on connectivity because connectivity matters. You can have the best possible device, best possible platform, but if you do not have reliable and secure connectivity, obviously it's not going to work. So be it uh, you know cellular connectivity, satellite, um, Wi-Fi. So uh, you know we are, we can kind of provide all those solutions. We have the global sim that we offer in countries where we do not have a coverage. For example, only in North America and Mexico is where we have our infrastructure you know, where we can offer the cellular solution. But outside, it's global sim. Where we have homing arrangements stitched with more than 500 operators. 
uh, same AT&T profile working across my, you know, 200 countries uh, and a connectivity management platform to manage all of that stuff. Uh, so focus on connectivity critical. Second thing is we wanted to simplify our product portfolio. Uh, we had a lot of products across the stack, be it on platforms, different kinds of vertical solutions. We wanted to simplify that product portfolio because we wanted to make it easy for our customers to use our services. And third is uh, expanded distribution. So we partner with channels, vendors, startups. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, it is an ecosystem play. Uh, so we try to work with the you know, device partners, hyperscale providers, system integrators, uh, work closely with them and uh, you know, provide end-to-end -end solutions to our customers. Uh, so broadly, these are this is what our strategy is. And very quickly, uh, we have the whole stack, so 4,000 plus devices, which we have certified on our network. Uh, we can choose any of those devices. Uh, we have the connectivity chair, which I have outlined. We have a platform on which you can ingest the data. And then we have certain vertical applications, for example, for asset tracking, fleet management, and not to forget IoT security, uh, because that needs to be addressed whether you talk about device security, network security, or application and data security. So broadly, this is what we are offering our story. You know, when you, uh, sorry, I, can I can I jump in with a comment? Uh, I, I think it's very interesting to hear. I mean, it rhymes very well with our observation that it's almost hard to point to uh, to to trend because it's everywhere. It's growing in in all direction right now. IoT and becoming more diverse. That's at least what we see. One thing that we have seen lately, uh, it's more of an observation, is at least that the adoption of IoT that we see tends to increase the dependability of the connectivity. So we see an increasing amount of use cases and an increasing number of users where the connectivity is real-time critical. I mean, either can be life-death, as in healthcare, we see, for example, elderly alarms or home and business alarms, or we even have in Gothenburg, we have remote drones flying CPR equipment to get really fast out to, to, to people in need. But the other criticality that we see, which is almost more spread, uh, is the business perspective, where the business basically cannot function without the connectivity. We have, for example, car charging stations. They need to be activated when the payment comes through. So of course, if the connectivity is down, the char car charger is down. We see taxis that cannot accept fares without the connectivity, and so on. So we are really seeing this in all areas. And I, for me, as working as an, for an MNO, I think this, and I think Sunil, you can probably uh, confirm this, but I think this increasing dependability puts a very high responsibility on MNOs to put resilience, high uptime, security, basically on the top of our agenda, much more than for B2B. I mean, it was important for B2B and B2C, but for IoT, that's where it's really the real pain is. So I think we need to both you know, make sure that we invest in the network. But I think also important is that we provide services and consultation on how to actually build connectivity solutions that are designed for high uptime in these applications. Sure. sure. Definitely. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that. I wanted to, to just move on to our next topic, challenges, uh, risks, um, and threats. And Alon, maybe you can start us off. Um, would you mind mapping out for us some of the top challenges uh, organizations face when it comes to building and deploying IoT solutions? I mean, we, we touched on a few in it just now. Uh, maybe you can expand on this for us. Yeah, so first of all, I think there is a clear distinction between new age companies and technologies like autonomous cars and stuff that are being developed as part of a, you know, without constraints to the past 
and there are a few of them and most of the world are like old age companies whether it is industry health and all of that 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 take iot and just put it as part of an ongoing running systems so in in many cases it's first of all an architecture issue i mean how do you fit new technologies into old manufacturing i will take manufacturing for example uh, old manufacturing uh, facilities with uh, outdated software and, uh, and and processes and capabilities that weren't built for constant connectivity and uh, and and deploying uh, data from it so in many cases is it's the arch it's the base architectures and how do you fit in the uh, the solution onto it um the in the past the problem of connectivity was was a thing and uh, 5g was supposed to be like the, the the next big hype and i can see now that private networks are becoming the the go-to solutions now when you do constant connectivity you basically open open yourself up to the world constantly now, as mentioned before, when you step out of the data centers and into the street or the OT environment, the operational technologies environment, you're not built as an uh, as, as as secured as an IT, and you're not designed as a as an IT. So I think the challenge, if I sum it up, it's the 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 edge at its most edgier scenarios, edgiest scenarios. And the new age technology that keeps you connected all the time and get a lot of data out of your systems, the the, the architecture of securing that uh, together is, I, I see it as a real challenge. Daniel and Tom, I, I like, yeah, if I, I, if I, I was, was just going to, yeah, I wanted to get your take on this uh, too. So what are your customers typically having challenges with when setting up? secure systems and IoT, uh, IoT solutions. Yeah, I just want to sprinkle a little bit of reality on, uh, our, on our discussion. Um, I looked at the data on the success of uh, the digital transformation IoT projects. And from uh, this data, I saw that only 8% of these projects are real success. Uh, the uh, ugly truth uh, of our business is um, it's mainly about pilots. So 37% of the companies are in pilots and thir additional 13% are stuck in the pilots with unclear results. So uh, that tells you that there is a big uh, problem uh, with the digital transformation and the IT projects. And one of the reasons that I want to bring to your attention is that we jump to technologies too fast. So we already started talking about the challenges that we have on the edge. We talk about the security, but the, we, when we talk to the customers, we should start at the very, very beginning, which is what is their approach to the business? So I saw many companies that do data projects because they have data. They do it in the areas where they have best data. The right approach that I 
would recommend is um, I learned it from one of my customers. They did three <coughs> things. First, they said, we will set the goal that everyone will understand in the company. They said, we want to increase our production by 100,000 tons without adding any additional equipment. Second, they said, we will, uh, we have identified the ways, and these are 13 key use cases that will allow us to reach this goal. And the third step that they made, which is very difficult to do, is they said, we know how much of this, of each of the use cases will contribute to this 100,000 tons uh, goal. So set easy to understand goal, define the ways to get there and understand how much each of the um, uh, steps will contribute towards the overall goal. So that's where we should start our discussions when we talk about digital transformation and um, uh, IoT projects. So with, once this is established, once there is a clear goal, um, we can dive deeper uh, into the technology discussions. Yeah, thank you, Ilya. I think that's a really great insight. Um, yeah. Daniel, um, did you want to jump in? Sure, sure. I mean, uh, let's uh, jump to the other end. I, I, I think it's very interesting to get this different perspective because I think we all see different areas if you are very early in the projects or if as you MNO, you typically become more involved when it's your really customers want to start scaling their solution, which is a different set of, of, of problems. So I, and one thing that we see, which, which is really hands-on, which I think is underestimated, is basically the setup of the VPN between the MNOs and the customer's data center. I mean, in the cellular, and this is more as an example, what can, go, what can, go, what can be a challenge, but basically in the cellular IoT connectivity solution, you typically set up an IPSEC tunnel between the virtual network, uh, to create a virtual network between customer's network and network of connected devices. And this IPSEC tunnel is used to communicate all data traffic from to and from the devices. And if you don't configure this correctly, you have a security hole and you have a single point of failure. And I don't know how, you know, how involved you've been in these things, but on paper, this looks really easy. It's like a standard, uh, standard uh, IPSEC tunnels. It's, uh, you know, it's been around for ages. You have routers you have, which exist and, and uh, basically you reuse the internet connection. But we, we see that this configuration, it requires specialist competence, uh, especially when you design a setup that, that your business is really dependent on. And we see that it's not as easy as, 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 it, would, as it should be. And we get you know, customers asking, you know, not all customers, but some, instead of you know, making sure they have the right specialist in, they, get, you, they suggest all sorts of work around, you know, put my device on the internet or uh, just set an ACL to limit the IP addresses or just you know have a, a, an old encryption algorithm or, or no redundancy. But this, from us, this would put them in a non-sustainable solution when their application grows. So, so, so we don't think this is a good idea because that could cause significant cost on unavailable applications. So I think in these cases, uh, as an MNO, we can assist customers by you know, sticking to secure and reliable standards and we can provide alternatives that are still are secure. Uh, we have, for example, now uh, set up a partnership with Equinix so that we can route traffic through Equinix Fiber directly to the customer's data centers uh, and, or directly to their hyperscaler cloud providers, you know, completely off the internet, secure, full redundancy, and most importantly, 
really, really easy to set up. So I, I think that's, you know, that's the type of things that we as an MNO can assist with uh, to make it easier. May I add to the, uh, the challenges and the threats and the risk? I think one of them is obvious. I would call it a statistical threat simply because there are more nodes. And not only is there more nodes, more things attached to the internet or the network per se, but secondly, it's attached longer and there's more samples, there's more interaction between them. So there's two dimensions of increasing you know, volume there, which just creates a vulnerability for um, into the network. That's an obvious one. And a lot of activity is going on to authenticate, secure you know, those as well. But uh, my team and I have identified 12 challenges to, uh, to the IoT and the edge. And I, uh, I won't uh, go through all of them, but I'll mention a few real quickly. One is just the fact that they're becoming smarter, these things, right? The thing, pick one, whether it be an automobile or whether it be a toaster or an oven, or whether it be um, even your devices, uh, they're getting smarter and therefore uh, they need more uh, management and uh, management was mentioned earlier and it's remote so how do you manage it remotely because in a data center when you have complex information technology a full stack with high performance computing lots of memory lots of storage space um, you can manage it because you're there you're physically there but that remote a second one is interesting it's my opinion everything the origination of the data from everything is analog based from the natural world, from the physical world, eventually, right? Even if it's text data, it's touched, right, on your smartphone or on your tablet. So there's this notion of, of big analog data, pressure, light, location, obviously, weather, temperature, voltage, current, as, as well as uh, acceleration, vibration. These are all analog phenomenon. So once you go out to the edge, uh, you're challenged with a convergence of an analog world that needs operational technology, such as analog to digital converters, such as data acquisition devices that are not networks, not Wi-Fi, not Ethernet, such as control systems. So you can actuate and control that autonomous vehicle, that robotic arm, the temperature in a building. All these things are operational technologies that are slammed up against information technologies, high performance computing, large memories. Uh, complex networking and that convergence of the OT and the IT world creates a challenge because it's seldom to find a company, if not a person, that is an expert in both. And I don't mean that negatively, I just simply mean those are the facts. Most people grew up in the industrial OT space or they grew up in the IT space. And that convergence coming together, I believe the winners in the world of uh, secure, effective uh, IT, uh, IoT are going to be those that have a command of both. And I'll, I'll leave with just a metaphor. Uh, there was a day where a cell phone manufacturer, be it Blackberry or Motorola, was an expert in cell phones. What happened to that device? You need now to be an expert in GPS, in cameras, in texting, right? In video um, um, playing, all these particular apps and uh, functions that are now in the thing that was a cell phone you know, at one time. And the companies that were able to get that expertise in, uh, in GPS, in cameras, et cetera, were the winners, you know, as well. So how is it possible that a cell phone company became the number one mid-range camera company in the world when they're not even a camera company? And those are the subtle convergences that take place in advanced technology that cause um, uh, winners and losers by knowing what those convergence points are, you know, as well. Thanks.
and I, would, I know, I know, many of you have 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 something to add to this. I want to, I want to try to keep us um, keep us on schedule, and um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna just ask, uh, you know, I'm just gonna move if it's possible to move on to the next question. So we have enough time for Q and A. I know our audience has a lot of questions they wanted to ask as well. Um, but Ricardo, uh, my next question is for you. We're talking about manufacturing, right? Manufacturing is very diverse and companies have many different kinds of machines and protocols and IT systems. Um, there's equipment and software were developed over decades using different architectures and interfaces. So isn't it reasonable uh, to believe that companies will scrap um, legacy systems to enable IoT? Maybe you can help us out here. Um, Thank you. Thank you for the question, and this also gives me the chance to comment on, uh, you know, on, on Tom's comments here uh, before. I, I, I really like everything that I heard, given this is the core complexity for any type of industrial IoT. This convergence between OT and IT is typically what defines if you are going to succeed, at least on the first levels of your digital transformation project. And this is much more complex than many people think, uh, exactly because of the legacy devices uh, that you just mentioned here. And these legacy devices, doesn't matter what type of industry you come in, uh, even the ones that say, I try to standardize all my controllers in Siemens, just walk on the floor and you're going to find a hundred different brands with hmm. different protocols. And collecting this data, standardizing this data, and integrating with IT might be very challenging. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the companies so far, the way that they bridged this gap was by creating custom code. And I would say that this is probably the biggest threat that you have in an industrial IoT project. Ford Motor Company needs to be focused in manufacturing good cars. Apple needs to be focused in manufacturing good products. When they take uh, the, the best uh, people that they have and the resources they have to develop uh, uh, middleware, custom code on the shop floor to bridge this gap is when you start to add inefficiency. And then bridging this and standardizing into an IT becomes a nightmare because you create a Frankenstein of applications talking to each other. Tell it in 2013, we made a strategic acquisition exactly to bridge this gap creating an IoT platform that can be an edge play in terms of translating all these hundreds of protocols and all the different types of IT integration in a completely transparent way. So I believe a lot on this first step of creating this platform that you can have a unique way of integrating these both scenarios, integrating new machines, but always with the focus of also bringing the old legacy machines, things are running on old protocols, or even uh, you know translating electrical digital signals into information for your application. Ted, maybe you can, in the context of the healthcare industry, what is your experience with regard to domain-specific um, obstacles and or other points of friction when uh, talking about uh, commercialized IoT? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I think healthcare does become a great example uh, and actually building off my colleagues' comments a moment ago, uh, uh, Ricardo's comments about manufacturing. Um, let me see if I can frame at least where uh, things stand in my opinion in healthcare. Uh, 
I think there are four key uh, categories in answer to the question right now. I think the first one uh, would be legacy. Uh, second is interoperability. Uh, the third being privacy and the fourth being a data enabled context. I'm gonna go back into those for a few moments in a second here, but I wanna frame my comments going forward uh, in retrospect to those four uh, uh, categories, uh, if you will, with kind of uh, positioning things, you know, thinking back two years ago, two plus years ago, prior to pandemic global, uh, you know, the healthcare was moving at a glacial pace with regards to adopting new technologies, uh, uh, understanding of course, eventually that there was a need to, uh, you know, improve the customer experience, improve the clinical practitioner experience, et cetera, you know, via the uh, technology uh, that was available. Um, and uh, what we've seen uh, as a manifestation of that, one that I think many would recognize is the explosion of what's referred to as telehealth or virtual health. Uh, you know, I, I don't like either of those terms because they evoke things that, you know, this make it too simple. Uh, however, the point of this is, is to actually extend the modality of care delivery uh, understanding wellness, also uh, because of uh, obviously uh, the, the the threats that uh, uh, the viruses and other things that are attacking the human uh, you know organism, uh, we have to understand drug discovery better. Uh, so a extended modality for care delivery to humans, uh, being via telehealth, was is now very obvious and public to most people. Now the uh, the uh, distribution or decentralized trials, if you will. Uh, for drug discovery so that we can understand the impact of a pharmaceutical on each individual and then collectively in a federated model, you know, how, 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 what's the efficacy and or, or lack thereof of, of the pharmaceuticals that we must deploy and not only to defend ourselves, but to make people more healthy. We're going back into the four categories. So I talk about legacy investments. Healthcare has evolved, uh, you know, uh, in, uh, around the world and certainly in the domestic United States over time, uh, and the large uh, organizations, you know, monolithically have grown up, and that's effectively been part of, you know, the centralization of care delivery. And within each enterprise, whether it be an insurer or a delivery mechanism like acute care hospital systems or health networks, and so on and so forth, you know, uh, just like the Ford Motor Company comment a moment ago, there have been, uh, you know, many many different hardwired APIs and pathways for data transfer and so on, and what's turned into uh, originally an excellent effort towards digitizing care, if you will, has actually created, if you will, a mountain of technology debt. And that's a weight upon the incumbent uh, in healthcare, the incumbents in healthcare now, with regards to moving towards IoT, right? The complexities associated with that, plus all the different tech debt that you have to deal with becomes almost uh, you know, untenuous. Um, interoperability, right? Because of, as I mentioned, the fragmentation or the various sources of data about me as a patient, you know, come from different things. We talk about electronic health records. We talk about if I have a visit to a, a, a primary care doctor and so on, my blood pressure, other readings and so on. There's so many different fragments of data that make up care delivery that's supposed to be done in context to me. You know, uh, what we see is a problem with regards to the provenance of a single source of truth about the data for me, uh, and then a longitudinal collection of those records so that uh, someone might understand my history across, you know, uh, the past as well as what I'm experiencing now. On the privacy side, you know, we start talking about, you know, the real fundamental issue, and I think this also goes back to interoperability, you know, patient identity 
uh, has been done in various ways, you know, utilizing numbers, oftentimes, unfortunately, in the US social security numbers or other uh, identifiers that I think uh, that, you know, must be, I think, you know, kind of gone by the wayside, we have to really move towards self-sovereign identity and other capabilities. The data itself and context, obviously, uh, healthcare is a general uh, delivery model today. Uh, but, uh, you know, in terms of me, I really want contextual, personal, and access to care where, when, and how I want it, but I want it to mean something to me. So I'll leave that at that. I'm going to go back into my comments a little later, but, uh, and, and build upon this uh, part of the story. Thank you, Ted. Oh, wow. That, uh, super, super informative. Thank you for sharing. Um, I can imagine someone wants to come, but I wanted to maybe um, jump over to Ilya. Um, maybe you can share with us a little bit about some of the interesting projects that you're working on um, and some of the difficulties and challenges that your customers are facing when it comes to specifically developing industrial IoT projects. Certainly. So um, as I started talking about the challenges and uh, um, the previous panelists mentioned uh, the, the most value comes from the IT and OT merged together. The, the problem that I uh, see on the market is that you cannot just throw data at the data scientist and expect that um, it, it will come, uh, the data scientist will come with a great uh, solution or explanation of things. Uh, there were several attempts to make the black box. So you throw data on one side and the money comes on the other side. It doesn't work, unfortunately. So we know and we've learned the hard way through our projects that only when you take data scientists, uh, you take good data and you lock your data scientists in the room with the subject matter experts that know how this particular machine works. Only then, um, if you are insistent on the outcomes, you can get the results uh, you need. So that's the, one of the biggest challenges. Of course, it is difficult to, uh, to get the data. Uh, of course, um, there are challenges um, connecting with the connectivity of the machines and connectivity over the long distances, but that pales compared to the challenge of um, dealing with the data and extracting the uh, the outcomes for it. For it. Uh, we were we kept saying data is a new oil, but you need the right teams and a lot of hard work to refine this uh, raw oil into something useful. So that's the big challenge. The interesting projects that um, um, me and my team are working on, uh, just to give you an example, um, I'm working with some uh, metal uh, industry customers that have hot rolling mills and um, sometimes they have a problem when this superheated 800 degrees two kilometer long band of hot metal falls off the rails of the hot rolling mill and we need to figure out why did it happen so and make sure that it will never happen again so some root cause analysis projects like this are uh, very, very exciting. Uh, there are uh, projects where we uh, help our customers to um, just visualize the data and help them uh, be more um, productive because they know what's going on. 
we had the customer where when we started, they had over 50% um, uh, of their machines that they produced, they, they had to rework, um, do some rework on them. And uh, they didn't know why. Uh, so we had to just expose all the problems and uh, uh, quantify them. And on top of that, build some solutions that will support their decision-making process. So there, there's large variety, but I would say that the most difficult, the most complex and the most useful is where the uh, data science meets subject matter expertise. So that, that, um, that's my point of view. And um, I hope, I, I, I wrote my seven lessons learned. So at, at some point I will be happy to share them uh, with the audience. I'll have to invite you back for another panel. Um, for a final question uh, related to challenges and risks, um, I wanted to get uh, your I mean, to the entire panel. Maybe talk about the recent pattern of highly publicized ransomware attacks and, that we've been seeing, specifically when it comes to critical infrastructure, healthcare um, over the past year. Do these stories um, further exacerbate the hesitancy to adopt IoT or? Um, is there a positive side to these stories, maybe drawing attention to the need for security? I'd love to get your perspectives. Yeah, so I'd like to, if I may, step in first to kind of maybe even complete the thread that you actually just kind of led me into here because uh, when we talked about the legacy of healthcare, you know, that's actually evolved with the use of large data databases and warehousing and so on, the collections of data, again, fragmented, not properly identified you know, uh, perhaps even not even longitudinally uh, connected so that authenticity and accuracy are a question oftentimes. Um, and those issues are being, as you pointed out, exploited. And there's a lot of press uh, that others, I'm sure that are watching this uh, right now would understand that, you know, uh, there's an exposure right now. Thinking about my comments uh, a few moments ago with regards to the extended modality of telehealth and virtual health and so on, that really means that monitoring me on a remote basis, or at least trying to deliver care to me on a remote basis now is extending, if you will, that information trail, right? So unless there are trust protocol uh, that's comprehensive and the combination of things like zero knowledge proof and other you know, uh, confidential computing capabilities uh, such as self-sovereign identity, verifiable credentials, et cetera, that kind of remove the human from protecting uh, the, uh, you know, in, in misuse and the uh, unauthorized access to the data, uh, and also at the same time assuring the authenticity because now you're able to connect on a key code situation, uh, the data and the subject, right? So uh, I think the, the push and pull right now with regards to what the consumers are starting to get used to and are actually beginning to demand in terms of access, context, personalized interaction, where and when it's comfortable for me is exacerbating all of these uh, potential uh, issues. Now, if we start to actually process the data where they are created, like at the human, right? Through remote uh, process monitoring or remote patient monitoring, all the wearables that are available now, there's some cool things that are being developed now are as, as thin and clear as tape. It literally looks like a piece of tape on your hand. They're self-powering. They can actually provide indications of cortisol in your perspiration or respiratory et cetera, et cetera. These are very powerful sensors that can provide information, right? And if we protect them, taking the human out and actually protecting it by mathematics, 
you know, then we can actually solve not only the uh, information and context issue, but you know, solve the honeypot uh, development, which is of the uh, 1980s and 1990s, right? And actually move data, access data, act on data, and then let it disappear, bringing it up again only when an episode is necessary. Right. Right. Thank you for that. One, yeah, I just wanted to add one point. Since you talked about security, and that's one of the biggest barriers, one of the barriers when it comes to IoT adoption. I think that uh, the IoT devices uh, today could be the weakest link in the chain, and this calls for uh, device manufacturers to adopt security by design principles when it comes to implementing security within the hardware. Um, and uh, also, what is really needed is for devices to be certified. I think, uh, for example, in the US, I can tell you that. Every device that plugs in a SIM in it has to be certified. You need a PTCRB certification, FCC certifies it, AT&T lab certifies it. And only when it's certified, only then it's brought into a production environment. And we also have a global certification program where you get the device vendors work with us, make sure that they're certified, and then they are on the, on the field. So I think uh, uh, a lot more emphasis should be given on the device security and the certification part. Uh, because if you're able to do that, um, uh, you know, so then you, you kind of cover one base. Of course, you also need to secure the network and the data and application, the cloud, but a lot more emphasis on the data, uh, on the device, uh, given that it's always going to be the weakest link in the chain. So maybe just referring to the question, uh, I'm not sure that there is any hesitancy uh, to adopt IoT-enabled solution today. I mean, you, you can basically, if you're building something new, you you get IoT in the box, and uh, you get uh, usually you get it with the SIM or with the private networks that uh, that come into table. And uh, just as uh, just as uh, Sunil said, it's, it's the ransomware or the ongoing attacks shouldn't. They are not putting the hesitancy on the table but they are putting the need to a clear and coherence and, and coherent security uh, to the to the iot devices and all of the links in the in that chain i'm not sure i don't think there is hesitancy today and not because there isn't any hesitancy but you just can't really buy something that is not iot powered anymore particularly in the consumer domain Actually, I think in all domains. In, no, I think there's a lot of a lot going on in industry that doesn't have a uh, quote an IoT dimension. Um, I just I just want to jump to our last topic uh, because we have about uh, twenty minutes left, and I want to leave some time for Q and A. So, um, start us off, Sunil. We're talking about approaches and solutions um, beyond its challenges, beyond the challenges for IoT. How do you see five G becoming an impetus for for future? So I think yes, 5G will definitely give an impetus to um, IoT adoption and um, uh, massive machine type communication, which is one of the pillars, three pillars of 5G. I think that will propel a lot more growth when it comes to um, IoT. And I think uh, the fact that the connection density is going to be significant, right? Uh, one million devices in a one square kilometer radius, theoretically speaking, that is possible. And uh, basically, we are talking about three different types of uh, you know, use cases. So one is massive IoT, where uh, monitoring of multiple assets, fleet management, wearables, that's one set of use cases. Then you have the broadband IoT, uh, where you could have a camera as a sensor, which is your video analytics, your drone monitoring. 
and then you have your critical iot which is you know your uh, smart grid and your robotic surgeries and all that stuff right so i think the big advantage with 5g is the fact that uh, it can seamlessly integrate with the other technologies like uh, in the iot or a wi-fi 6 the fact that 5g can work with all these other technologies i think that will definitely propel um, adoption of iot going forward uh, mm-hmm. in my view and uh, and we personally see 5g playing a very important role in industrial iot as well with private 5g networks it allows a complete different dynamics in terms of uh, manufacturing process instead of having stationary machines letting the tools to move around the parts being manufactured really changing the flow and increasing productivity another significant impact that we see is in terms of providing ultra high band low latency connectivity to remote devices uh, certainly 4g is more than enough for a lot of uh, solutions but the 5g capabilities also provide this extra level of connectivity and for some of the use cases that Samuel mentioned like visual inspection when you are using cameras to do uh, analytics and taking decisions on the edge today we are currently deploying five several projects in 5g and we see this as an important trend in the industrial use case this is tom i i think it'd be a great 5g will be a great contributor to what i think consumers want consumers want a single radio or a single network right now we have many right we have bluetooth we have near field we have cellular we have wifi you know as well and uh, to the extent a a network can be seamless wifi gateway into 5g for example and present itself as that single uh, network that will be the again i'm talking from a customer point of view an end user point of view not a uh, supply side point of view um, you know as much as well uh, as, if that happens though it also it'll drive device manufacturers to adopt because if you build a device why would you put in multiple radios when you can put in you know one or two as well so there'll be that supply side driven area as well so if we, if this 5G can superset and take care of a lot of the capabilities that other let me say radios and networks are doing i think that will be a driving factor again from a consumer demand perspective yeah if i may um, the panel is not about just necessarily agreeing with each other I, i think the consumers need the coverage to make sure that the connectivity is there well that has to be there absolutely yeah, but if it is yeah. it'll be one yeah it has to well, be well and uh, living in germany i can tell you uh, it's a lot to be desired at, at the moment uh, with 4g let alone 5g but um uh, there, there is a reason a futurist. why on the future yeah, yeah. yeah of course, of <laughs> you're in the present right yeah and, and uh, in the in the present there is reason to put the uh, multiple radios in the device because uh, the wear, variable devices are battery powered and the consumption of the uh, 5g or um, uh, cellular uh, connectivity is very high so uh, bluetooth is the low power option that's still going to be with us unless the uh, requirement for um, today 4G or 5G will be lower so but again future today. Uh, i totally agree with your vision yeah yeah and i i agree with Thank your you. point of view about today you're right yeah. it will it will continue to be until the costs and the efficacy you know uh, is there in each one of those but uh, eventually it'll be one i think we'll see maybe not in our time yeah yeah <laughs>
Alon, maybe you can map out for us some of the current security solutions uh, or approaches that exist today um, within the IoT field. Yeah, I would be happy to. Uh, so I think in many cases, uh, the security approach today to IoT is first of all, let's be non-intrusive. Uh, which is guided by regulations and uh, and uh, the fear or the hesitancy of the owners of the of the IoT machines or devices. And second of all, they are really IT oriented, in the sense that you see security solutions that are mimicking the IT world into the OT network, uh, whether it is a anomaly detection in the network, whether it is a IPS or IDS uh, kind of uh, solutions, where it is, whether it is hardening and focusing on the servers and not on the IoT devices uh, themselves. Um, so if it, it, my approach or our approach to, to to dealing with security challenges is actually finding the way to be intrusive in the sense that the security will be part of the protocol. It will be part of the, of the IoT actions with its uh, operators and with its online connectivity, and it will be embedded as a standard or as a capability that you can basically bring on and, and and be part of the uh, solution itself. In many cases, many companies today make a lot of money and make so security solutions just by doing what they did on IT to OT networks. Uh, and I'm not sure that's the most effective way uh, to do OT security today. Ricardo, talk to us a little bit about some of the security solutions um, for threats related to remote connectivity. I think there are many different layers of security that you need to think, depending on the different type of business model you have. So instead of talking generic here, let me talk in terms of real life use cases we have. Currently, we connect more than 10,000 semiconductors manufacturing equipment in every single 300 millimeter steps that exists in the world. And if you are familiar to semiconductors, you realize that semiconductors is one of the most secure, sensitive environment that exists for multiple reasons. One UV2 from ASML, for example, can cost you $130 million, just one machine. Uh, and you imagine how important it is for you to properly maintain this machine and extract the most of the productivity out of this tool. Uh, while if you go to Intel or any other uh, uh, high-quality semiconductors manufacturer company, you realize that they invest billions and billions of dollars in IP to create a certain recipe, and they know if anybody uh, steals that recipe, the same chip can be manufactured somewhere else, losing a significant uh, property for the company. Uh, so how can you match these two scenarios? Uh, that's something that we have been doing for more than 10 years, securely connecting all these tools between the, 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 the OEMs, the tool makers and the chip makers, so we can guarantee 
high productivity on these tools while securing all the IP that involves there. There are multiple layers that we involve there in terms of hardware security, in terms of the infrastructure that we deploy there, a global network of, uh, of private uh, uh, network that we provide uh, for you to have uh, this uh, independent access, as well as all the auditability, traceability, and separations of who can access what and when with all the encryption necessary in this space. That is one environment that we could bridge the gap in terms of being extremely secure while providing this secure remote connectivity so we can enhance productivity. Another type of use case that I also would like to comment is about using our data collection platform called DeviceWise in security sensitive environments such as uh, military uh, manufacturing facilities. So the way that we do this is by having all the local encryption uh, uh, adopting uh, 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 crypto technologies there, as well as uh, providing data diodes. So not only I rely 100% on the software and hardware that we have there, but I literally put an air gap between uh, uh, certain stages at the network, allowing by the laws of physics, only one way communications in this environment. So. We need, we need to answer uh, the questions very shortly here, but the message is exists technology for that. Uh, security should not be an excuse for companies to not go into the digital transformation. Uh, every manager should think in terms of what is important for this business. And I'm sure that with a quick research, you will realize what is the right level of equipment, software, and security to be deployed there to enable that. Thank you, Ricardo. Tom, really quickly, what makes edge computing such a powerful uh, approach and solution to many IoT challenges? And then Ted, I'd also love to get your perspective on this um, healthcare perspective. Um, and uh, yeah, we just have a few minutes before we jump into Q&A, so maybe you can um, sum, it, sum it up for us. Sure, edge computing is a, you know, is a passion of mine, and there are seven reasons to uh, compute at the edge. I mentioned a couple of them before, such as security, uh, bandwidth, costs, because ban even if you have the bandwidth, it's uh, also uh, not free. And each one of these seven, a customer, an end user, let me say, has told me that they needed that. Um, data sovereignty and uh, the ability to keep data in, in one location for whatever the reason might be. It might be corporate policy, you know, as well. And uh, of course, reliability, like I mentioned earlier, ingest when we lost uh, one of our colleagues as well. So those are seven reasons to not send all the data to the cloud, but there are dozens and dozens of reasons to use the cloud. So it's not an anti-cloud uh, statement necessarily. It's just this notion that uh, it is not a sensor to cloud world only in the minds of end users. It may be in the minds, of course, of uh, of suppliers because uh, of the what is being sold and what is being purveyed by the company. But if you listen carefully to the customers, it's very much a hybrid approach. There's a, a strong dimension of doing something that is not in a cloud, and then there's a huge strong dimension and growing of using something in a remote cloud as well. But I will say that regardless of where that data is processed um, or computed, uh, the cloud experience, meaning the abstraction, the ease, of, of using the uh, information technology is, uh, is, uh, is paramount 
you know, as well. Um, and again, uh, not every uh, not every uh, application will have both. There will be one, the other, and then many with both. But we're seeing more and more both because of uh, a repatriation and um, uh, the cloud stickiness issue with respect to lock-in, you know, as well. Yeah, and I think Dr. Tom's comments about uh, the uh, the edge infrastructure are uh, definitely applicable to healthcare. However, what we're looking at as well is, you know, some of the opportunities to create edge cloud, right? So no, providing some of the functionality, both it, you know, networking in a local uh, space uh, with regards to other services and so on. So you take an example of the explosion of the use of the GPU, uh, you know, using NVIDIA in this case as an example. My colleague also. Uh, you know, mentioning a few moments ago, uh, they're offering, you know, uh, substrate level architecture security, uh, you know, on a GPU, which is, uh, you know, multi-parallelism sort of processing capability, which is very powerful in a small package, right? But then they're going further. They're offering a set of tools, uh, both from a software engineering and a library perspective to accelerate, you know, development in that environment. And that's attracting developers. So they're actually creating an entire community around what eventually might evolve into, we hope, and what we're looking into researching, and right now it's at the architecture design stage uh, in some cases, uh, you know, utilizing the concept of an edge cloud, right? Now, of course, we'd have to take advantage of high-speed, secure, uh, you know, and properly trusted protocol, uh, high-speed messaging uh, connectivity back to, you know, other individuals if there are humans involved in an extended uh, route. But, you know, we see the wearables, environmental opportunities, uh, things like hyper-local, right, which are being exploited now for marketing and other, you know, behavior modifications outside of things like healthcare and so on and so forth. Uh, all of those kind of things that help us to understand the environment uh, and then the human, what's happening in that moment in a secure manner, acting on it in the moment, right, uh, again, in an autonomous fashion, then we could start to build out, you know, uh, clusters, if not, you know, clouds of networks, you know, in, within communities. And I'll leave it at that. But I'd love to have conversations offline with any of our, uh, our viewers here uh, if they wish to follow up, because uh, I know I'll be further informed than I uh, sort of get a little passionate about this stuff. So I'd love to share more. Um, and and I, I want to invite our audience now to just submit any questions you may have um, in the Q&A section or in the chat. And while you're doing that, I'm just going to have Ted really quickly uh, give us a final a final response on his approach to what is your approach to addressing regulatory issues um, when you're trying to balance compliance and also the need for a solution efficacy yeah um, so but really, get your questions in the q because we have only a few more minutes left <laughs> so really quickly so i'll just summarize this now in healthcare you know there's a linear uh, relationship between trust and value Right now, if you think about both of those words, there are various connotations as opposed, you know, as it relates to the individuals that are involved. So you've got the practitioners who are, uh, you know, understanding and delivering care uh, about me, and then you've got the consumer or what's referred to as the patient. Right. So uh, that trust and value equation has a lot of different connotations, uh, but the regulatory environments are set up to actually promote that. Uh, it, it's really not a technology issue. Again, I mentioned earlier about some of the incumbents that are in healthcare now that may be weighed down by several uh, evolutionary uh, you know, circumstances. I think people coming from the outside, organizations like Amazon, Amazon Care, et cetera, those organizations coming in from the outside you know, will be disruptive and uh, offer not only you know, obviously compliant solutions, but perhaps even uh, evoke, if not inspire, modernization of some of the regulations. Think about the HIPAA law in the United States 
You know, it's, uh, I think, circa 1996, which is pre-internet, right? So we've got to fix some of those things so we can actually get down to delivering care and not be hidden behind some, uh, you know, perhaps, you know, uh, perceived, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, obstacles. Um, so we have a question um, from our chat, but I think we, we've answered it uh, to some extent. Uh, how do you define the component in IoT or OT environment and should it be linked to the enterprise IT level? So um, if anyone has anything else to add to that, feel free, but I think you've covered it. OT is control systems, um, data acquisition systems, A to D converters, and some industrial protocols. IT is somewhat obvious, right? Storage, compute, and uh, networking. And there's some overlap in the Venn diagram, but that's usually the two domains. I think you can see the convergence by the flow of the data because many industry, let, let's take industry, for example, industry 4.0 solutions, uh, AI and data science uh, solution are based, are running questions on data that is generated by the by the by the OT environment um, so there is like a flow of data from the OT to the to the IT and I think another thing that we are starting to see and I think Rockwell Automation just uh, introduced uh, one of this is like the virtual data center for OT environments so it's a suite of solution of hardware and software which is basically really IT oriented and IT based, but it is for the OT environment. So it comes with the connectivity and the control systems and all of that suite uh, to talk to the, to the OT environment, sorry. And it's, it is managed as an IT environment, including the software updates and uh, allegedly the, the security. So it's a very sophisticated edge computing capability that lives on on both ends, uh, I think. That, yeah. Well, it's interesting that, that OT companies are becoming IT companies, just like a cell phone company had to become a camera company. Right? I, I think in many cases, everyone is becoming a software company. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yes. It's not. Yeah, it's interesting to see if IT companies become OT companies. That's a harder switch. Yeah. Yeah, a software and services uh, company. Um, and, and if you look at, uh, at edge computing, we had a short discussion about it uh, just a few minutes ago. I think the, the signs that we here at Hub Security see that edge computing is really becoming, uh, uh, becoming a go-to tool and a need in the market is that we see a lot of cloud providers are developing their suites for the edge. So you can have like Google or Amazon or Microsoft, or Microsoft Suite running on top edge capability, and it's actually working as part of the of the of the cloud suite. So the IT/OT convergence is something that is inevitable, and it will be in hybrid mode. Uh, relying on a very fast and uh, a low latency connectivity together with security, like the security wind reduced to the security paradigm wind reducing uh, hub security and uh, getting data from machines to the, to the cloud. 
We have another question here in the Q&A. Um, how can a customer fulfill IoT demand using 5G MPN? Yeah, so we're seeing uh, very exactly. quickly, I think we started to see, uh, uh, especially in the US, I mean, in parts of Europe, that many of these factories are adopting private 5G network using unlicensed spectrum. Um, so probably we'll start seeing a lot more of that uh, going forward. Um, and then it also could be a hybrid approach where they can use a private 5G network in conjunction with the cloud uh, and also integrate with the 4G network as well. Yeah. Yeah, and from practical perspective, I have been working with uh, in Europe with Ericsson and Vodafone. Both companies can provide uh, private five G networks uh, if needed. I, I just want to add around the private private five G networks. I mean, that's uh, definitely a trend that we see in the industrial space. Uh, at least in Sweden, we see a large interest in that uh, right now. And and um, and I would say many operators are now, uh, you know either having services or launching services around it. So, so I, if you're interested in that, you should contact your local m definitely. Uh, I'm sure that they can support. Okay, and I think with that, we're, we're out of time for today. Um, thank you everyone for joining us and thank you to our speakers, our wonderful panel. I wish we had more time together and I'm um, sorry for the time pressure. Um, we'd love to, to have you back. Uh, for more discussions like these. Thank you, Ricardo Boranello, Dr. Tom Bredic, um, Ilya Billig, Sunil David, Ted Delavecchia, and Daniel Martin. Um, am I forgetting someone? Alon. Thank you, Alon, so much for joining us uh, as well and for a wonderful introduction to the event. Um, I hope and we hope you're staying all safe and healthy at home and we look forward to hosting many more events like these in the future. So we'd be happy to, to continue this uh, discussion at uh, another time, another date. Um, for our audience to get in touch with any of today's panelists, you can reach out to them directly. All of you will be receiving an email in the coming days with the contact information for our panelists. So feel free to reach out to them if you have any questions about anything we discussed. Um, and if you'd like to stay up to date on uh, our upcoming webinars, you can of course follow us on LinkedIn. We also have a Twitter. Um, and uh, you can also check us out on Medium for the latest stories coming out of the cybersecurity sphere. Um, thank you. I want to uh, just thank our panelists once more. Thank you all for joining us, and thank you for your vast and wonderful insights. So it was really a great Hub discussion. Security. Thank you, Hub Security. Wonderful, wonderful conversation. Appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thank you. Just thank you. one correction. Um, I wish everyone to be healthy and safe, not staying at home, but traveling. Back on the road. Yeah, I really like this part. Thank you. <laughs> Come to Tel Aviv. <laughs> <laughs>